don't encourage our body. Amen. So, all right, guys, thank y'all for being here for Sunday school. It is a special Sunday school this morning. Uh, it is a combined service, and so I know anything. you know how it is here in Eastern North Carolina. Uh, everyone will be along in about 20 minutes. But we're going to go ahead and start, all right? And uh, that way we'll give our guest plenty of time to share what's in his heart. Uh, this guest this morning is very special to me and my family uh, because this is a man that I served under uh, my first nine years of ministry, almost 10 years of ministry. Uh, I went into Maranatha Bible Church in Salisbury, North Carolina, uh, fresh out of college, uh, and, and really only... Um, about four years old in my faith, but God had saturated my soul with the Word of God on a daily basis in, in college and, and clearly called me into the ministry. And so I was thankful for the opportunity to serve under this man. Uh, he was my pastor, and, um, and I was just uh, blessed with the opportunity to hear a man week in, week out, preach the Word of God, literally. And uh, so. if you listen closely... You, you understand the influence upon my life because he almost sounds a little bit like John MacArthur, I think, when he preaches. So, but anyway, that's, that's, that's a hero of his and an influence of mine as well. Uh, this man drove 1,200 plus miles, right? Arkansas. Arkansas. Him and his wife, Karen, you're going to love Karen. Karen's going to sing for us this morning also, so she'll bless you with song. And uh, please, guys, uh, if you get time today, uh, speak with them. They'll be out front afterwards. They're actually, um, they have a book. He'll tell you a little bit about that book uh, that, that kind of chronicles their life and some of the brokenness that they've been through. And some of you will be able to relate to their story, but it'll minister to you. And so this morning, would you welcome uh, Pastor Bob Freitas and Karen Freitas. Pastor Bob. Telling folks that we came 1,200 miles near Pastor Jeremy. And uh, my nickname through the years was PB. His was PJ. So you can see how we stuck together. <laughs> but, uh, I am just thrilled and blessed to see how God continues to use Jeremy and Allison and what God is doing in this church. I want you to turn to familiar verse of scripture. It's Romans 8 28. I'm going to get it up from here on the Screens. And now today you don't have to be uh, distracted by uh, looking at me. I want you to look at the scripture. I've got a lot of scripture that I want to cover this morning. You know, God cares about the broken. In fact, there is hope for the broken. And uh, ever since Genesis 3, this has been a broken world. There is sin, death, disease, heartache heartbreak everywhere you go. Now, I know some of the churches you go to, you're going to hear about health, wealth, prosperity, and success. But you know, there's a lot of broken people out there. And God is near to the brokenhearted. And in our, after 50 years of ministry, God has given us a ministry to reach out to the broken, to give them comfort and hope, and to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's this familiar verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. I'll explain the rest of this verse a little bit later. You're probably afraid of this guy. And just the very thought of a surgeon with a scalpel, you think about pain. So 
let's speak a little bit about providence, purpose, and pain. The surgeon with scalpel in hand, the very sight brings fear, anxiety, and perhaps terror of the pain that may come from the surgery. But you know what? There's a purpose for the pain, right? So that you can heal, so you can recover from disease, so you can remove the cancer and return to health. Now you realize that God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2, there was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no loss. Everything was good and very good. What happened? Man sinned, and the curse came upon mankind and the world. And ever since Genesis 3, there has been pain in the world. But God did not create the world that way. So don't blame God. Blame man for his rebellion against God. But you know what? While pain came as the curse of God on sin, a loving God can work blessing in the process of the pain that sometimes comes in our life. Now, I want to <clears throat> remind you that Romans 8, 20 says, we know, we know, don't live by what you feel, okay? If you live by feeling and emotion, you're going to be on a spiritual roller coaster all the time. It's a gloomy day, you have a headache. God has not changed. He is still a good God, a God of grace and love and has a plan for your life and mine. So choose to go with what you know, not what you feel. In other words, you need to live by faith and not by pain. So how do you face pain and trouble? Go with what you know. Knowing, listen to this, this is Romans 5. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, uh, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint the rest of us because the love of out into our hearts. You know, pilots cannot fly by the feeling. They have to know those instruments. They have to know the facts before they can fly a plane. Don't go with feeling, go with what you know. Here's another verse. James 1-2. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. That won't happen unless you know something. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So we don't live in fear and depression. We have joy knowing that God works through all the different circumstances, the good and the bad of life. God is in control. Abraham knew that. That's why he had hope against hope. He believed God. He believed the word of God. He went with what he knew about God, and he had hope. David was tempted with depression. But David put aside his depression. Here's what he said. David said, why are you in despair, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And that phrase is repeated three times in Psalm 17 and 34. You know, you can have hope if you know God. If you live by faith, not by faith. Here's the thoughts. I have two points. I'm going to go out to preach. Every, Jeremy, every good preacher has three points. I don't know if I have two points. <laughs> <laughs> well, they let me graduate anyway. The promise of God. God works good from all things. Now, this is the easy part. God works good from the good things. For instance, God's power. says, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? And the Holy Spirit empowers you. He's the dynamo of God. The dynamo of God to give you strength. So when you have the Holy Spirit, how wonderful, how good is the power of God every Christian has. The wisdom of God. If you lack wisdom or that, ask other questions. He gives to all generously. That's how Jeremy and I got through Bible college, we prayed, right, for wisdom. God, yes, thank you. But we prayed for wisdom. But I love Colossians 2, 3, where it says, 
Christ is to us the wisdom of God. All the treasures of wisdom are found in the person of Jesus Christ. How good is the wisdom of God. The goodness of God, Romans 2, 4, leads us to repentance. Leads us to God. And so certainly good things will work good in our lives. I don't want to miss it. The promises of God. <clears throat> have a Bible, open up. Would you do that? How many have a Bible? Oh, I know some people bring their Bible on the shelf on whatever you got. I'm glad that you buy them. You know, uh, Peter calls this the exceedingly great and precious promises of God. All right? And what happens when you believe and apply the promises of God, his precious and magnificent promises, that by them, that's the word of God, you may become partakers of the divine nature or character, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through the word of God, you partake of God's character. As God's word works in your life, you become more like God. Secondly, you will escape the corruption that is in the world through us. So certainly the promises of God work good. Now, angels work good. I have to tell, I'll try to keep the story short. Some years ago, my deacon named Mark called me Sunday morning before church by 8 o'clock. Now, Mark was a character. He was always joking and you know, doing things like that. It's been a long time now. And Mark said to Karen, and she was told, I can't come to Sunday school, I can't teach Sunday school. My house blew up. And Karen said, Mark, oh, come on. So I got my clothes on, ran over to the hospital before church, went into the hospital with Mark, Mark was all right. But here's what happened. I had the furnace in the basement of the house, and there was a leak in the gas furnace, and then a pile of light went on. Boom. And so Mark and his wife and two children woke up flying through the air. The house was leveled. They woke up lying on the ground. The baby was just a few feet away. Their four-year-old had fallen into the basement, and he was climbing every time. They took him out, took him to the hospital, and the first story on the local news that night was this. It's a miracle. House blows up, and family is not hurt. And so we're in the hospital room to talk about this, and I read Psalm 99. And you shall give his angels charge over you, lest you be dashed your foot against the stone. And it, the tears came to our eyes, and our Mark said, I think I just had a serious injury. They bore him up, and there was no angel. No angel to walk him. I wonder how many times out of the expressway when we were traveling, we came close to get angels were watching over us. They will bear you up in their hands. They are servants to minister to us. How about the church? Why do you go to church? Not to save you, but the church and the fellowship of the church encourages us and stimulates one another to love and good deeds. And certainly the church works good. Mark forsaken the assembly of ourselves together, even this pandemic. In pandemic, we need each other. We need the assembly, the assembly of the local church. Certainly, prayer works, works good. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good to those who ask Him? Good things if you ask, seek, and knock. So certainly, prayer works good things. Well, if you look at the gears in the back of an old watch or in machinery, you ever notice how gears move? Contrary to one another, work in two different directions, right? Yet they come together to make progress. Sometimes in life you look at the gears of life and they seem to be contrary. They seem to be against you. Things happen to you and me. We don't understand. I thought Deborah was saying, so I just observed. He lost his son <clears throat> just two months before high school graduation. 
Karen was almost killed by a hit and run bus. The city bus years ago. She shouldn't be here. Yes, she is. Came from a broken. Bad stuff happens. There are broken people out there. Yet, you know what? God causes good from even the worst things that happen in our lives. So here's an old watchman contract that they mesh together. Let's talk about suffering. Nobody wants to talk about suffering. We as Americans, we want our lives to be easy and comfortable, right? And we expect God to do that for us. And if God doesn't make us comfortable, we think it's sin. And if some suffering or pain, we can God, 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 why did you allow this? And I can tell you something, there's a lot of suffering in this world. Look at Romans 8, 18. In fact, if you have your Bibles there, turn back to that verse that's in Romans chapter 8. Here's what Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says. And I like the old King James. I reckon I consider or calculate that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffering and glory. On the Emmaus Road, I had this picture in our home, the Emmaus Road here. Walking down the Emmaus Road, these disciples have to go directions. They have Bible study. And Jesus opened to them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself and the Jesus they were. Ought not Christ to have suffered and to enter into his glory? But then the rest of the testament, you see the phrase, suffering and glory, suffering and glory. First Peter 2, 21, it says, we're following the steps of Jesus. That's a very good idea. What would Jesus do? We're following the steps, right? What were the steps of Jesus? Suffering and then glory. And it's just true. God's going to allow sometimes suffering and pain into our lives. It's not like he made a mistake. It's a part of life. It's a part of a broken world. It earns us glory. First Peter 5.10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself protect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know what the verse says? After you've suffered a while. That's from the God of all grace. We'll do all these things, protect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Some day when we get to heaven, we'll look back at what we went through and we'll say, you know, it was worth a little while. And we were in it, but it sucked. But someday we'll look back and say, you know, it was just for a little bit. Now we have glory forever. God will use suffering in our lives. Yes, there is good that God can work in the worst things. Remember how Peter sinned? Now, sin is not good. I'm not saying sin is good. But I'm saying even people sin against us. God can work. And even if we learn from our sin, God can work with us. Peter denied Christ. Sin is never good, but God can work with sinners. Sin moves us to prayer, repentance, humility. We yearn for heaven. Listen to the words of Paul in his own spiritual struggle. Oh, rich and man that I am, who has set me free from the bodies of death, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. On the one hand, I myself in my mind am a servant of the law of God, but on the other, crucify Christ the law of sin. But the conclusion of that is, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ is the one who set us free from the slavery. Now, I feel sorry for most of you boys that are into the dentist. They may have to have some work done on his teeth, and I'm sure you can actually happen. The dentist or the doctor may cause some hurt, but you know what? They bring good results. And who is the great physician to do? There are times in my life and your life you've done surgery, right? 
Lord saw something in our lives that needed to be changed. The Lord had to chastise us. The Lord had to do some work, some spiritual surgery. It may have been painful at the time, but the result is good. Now a father may chasten his children. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It is for discipline that he endure. God gives to be a son. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? You don't like discipline. But you know what? The father loves his children. He will. We go astray and we don't listen to the scriptures. He will discipline us. Aaron's brother ran away from the Lord for nine years. He committed probably every sin imaginable. We pray for him. But one day, his brother was drinking buddies, <clears throat> water skiing. He hit a reef. While Aaron Florida, God stole his arm and went back with him. At that point, God said, Okay, God, I'm going to touch you. He got right with God and said, Let me see what God says. What God will tell you, he will more than ready to listen. And thank God, his life was turned around and God repented of his rebellion. You know what? God disciplines us not because he wants to hurt us. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share what? His holiness. Why do you ladies went out like this? Wives submit us in what you see in the Lord. You know, remember the marriage vows, the love, honor, and obey. Boy, that's a rare one now. But it is in the Bible. It says, you know, no one can serve two masters and must be forced to do the same. All Christians, by the way, submit to somebody. We submit to the Lord. Husbands to the Lord. You go to work and you submit to. We don't like that, but it's good. The husband becomes the protector. He permits to lay down his life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He must love her even to death. So Christ loved and protects his church. One of the greatest examples of unfaithfulness is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember how the brothers tried to get rid of Joseph, but they're jealous. That's how the father told them Joseph. And so they threw him in a pit to die and leave him alone. And finally they sold him into slavery. There, Joseph, of course, then comes into Potiphar's house, and God blesses Potiphar. Then <coughs> Potiphar's wife uh, you know, tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph refuses. Falsely accused, he's thrown into jail for years. That can't be good. But you know, finally, when <coughs> the rest of his brothers came to Egypt during the famine, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And here's what he said. Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sins that they did wrong. This is his brother saying. His brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. The word really means slaves. <laughs> he said, You know, we, we tried to kill you. We, we tried to eliminate you. And, you know, you, you saved our lives. But, you know, we'll be your slaves. You know what Joseph said? Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. You know what Joseph just said? I know where God took me. God took me in Egypt. And all the, the terrible stuff that happened to me, I am in the place God put me, the sovereignty of God. You meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive, and of course, the nation of Israel to survive. God, you see this example of God's working for sovereignty, unfaithfulness in the Old Testament. Now, Secondly, the partakers of the promise. You know this promise is not for everybody. I wonder if there are people sometimes, oh, everything's all going to work together. It's all going to work out. <clears throat> for whom? Not for everyone. 
This promise is, is not for them. This promise is not for those who refuse the word of God. Look what it says. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that phrase refers to a few things. A Christian is a believer. A Christian is a lover of self. I don't have time to go in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it describes those who were God's people as those who loved God. If you know him, if you believe in him, you're going to love him. Now, the promise is not for all. It's not like positive thinking. This is a mumbo jumbo and positive thinking where just what the mind of man can conceive and can achieve. That's man. <coughs> not the mind of man that we believe in. We believe in a sovereign God who works all things out for good and for his glory. So it's not for everybody. You know, the Lord Jesus himself can be in the world of life or death, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2. Christ can be the precious cornerstone, the rock of ages, or the stone of stumbling, and the rock of offense, and the soldiers of this world. This verse will bless you, or it's a warning if you don't love God. Things are not going to work out if you live a life of rebellion against the holy and the loving God. Only the saved of faith who love God can qualify for this promise. Lovers of God, you know, the word for love, the most important word in the church is agape. It is unselfish love, sacrifice, eternal life, lukewarm, and carnality. Remember what the word says in the church of Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 16. Isn't that true agape love? First of all, it is faithful, no love deceives, right? Let us love God with agape love, wholehearted love. Here's the greatest commandment in the Bible. It's not go to church. Some people think that's wicked, but it's just the greatest commandment. <clears throat> I said the other night during the basketball tournament, going into a church won't make you a coward. Going into a garage won't make you a coward. Going into a blind won't make you a coward. And going to church will make you a Christian. And it's going to make you proud. And the number one commandment for those who are Christians is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Now this love is a sincere love. Love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. I didn't say love Jesus in his love, live life, and live live life to the truth. That's what a sincere love is. He said, if you love me, keep my Just keep my If you love me. Our love is a sincere love. It's a wholehearted love. It's an active love. No I've only been here about a week, but I can tell you, this is an active church. A lot of folks are serving Jesus here. They not only believe the Bible, they're serving the Lord any way they can. And that's a wonderful thing. It shows a love for Christ. And Paul uh, thanked the Thessalonians for their labor of love. Whatever you do for Jesus, you do it for love, right? Not to earn points or insult anyone. Now, this love is an enduring love because it is a present faith. So he don't just love once to go on and live a life of love. So how do you love God? You know, every good relationship requires communication. We talk to God. We communicate. Abba, Father. One of my favorite prayers, and this is a good one for you to pray. When's the last time you told God you love him? You said, Lord Jesus, I love you. Well, husbands, you need to tell your wife you love her. Parents, you need to tell your children Christian, you need to tell them. 
Lord, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Amen. The loving name for God. Amen. No, you need to grow. No, you can't. You can't love God if you really don't know Him. You know what the challenge for every Christian like Paul said? Oh, God, make known Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Get to know God. The more you know, the more you love Him. Then separate yourselves from Him. Uh, I dated a, a few gals in college, and then I fell in love with Karen. I separated myself from you know, one of them. I don't have any other options. I'm a figure. If you love God, you're faithful to you separate yourself from him. Well, I don't I didn't draw this picture of the devil. Choose who you will love, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what James 4:8 commands us. Now what's also commands is do not love the world or the things of the world. What is to love the world? It's to love things more than love. It's to love this world system, which is godless, against the Bible, against Christians. Oh, it's about a system. Pick up one of the people. We love people. Of all origins, of all races, of all cultures. We love people. Amen? But we're not to love the godless world system that we talked about. And Satan is called the god of this world. You know, to love this evil world is spiritual adultery. James says you adulterers who do not know the friendship. With the world, it's hostility towards God. The Bible says, hate evil. You need to love the Lord. If you don't love God, you cannot love evil. So we build a house, we need to love it. You know, when we build a house, we need a plan, we need a blueprint. Now, God's purpose is a blueprint for history. He does nothing by accident, but only by plan. And this is the greatest comfort to me. What happens is not an accident. God has a plan for all the things if you don't already know this word sovereign, it means God is the supreme ruler and authority. He ordains whatever comes to pass. That his divine purpose is always accomplished in the end. Don't you love those words? All things work together for good. How that happen? Because God causes, did you know that? God causes all things to work together for good. Now, God's purpose is your good and his glory. God's purpose is you come to repentance, not that you should perish. God's purpose is you fellowship in the local church where you grow spiritually. God's purpose is a holy life. God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Mark 21, verse 20. His purpose and grace is you give your life in Christ Jesus before condemnation. Now, <clears throat> some people think God saves you so you go to heaven. That's true. But the whole story is God saved and made you holy. To conform you to the image and the character of Christ in every circumstance of life. He called us to a holy calling. Now, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done. What is the will of God? His sovereign plan? His plan is that you come to repentance, you believe the gospel, you live a holy life, and you're conformed to the image of Jesus. Ultimately, it ends in verse 29. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me just tell you bluntly, God is more concerned about your character than he is about your salvation. Now you say, why? Maybe God. 
And he wants to bless you. And he wants you to bless. Carol's going to come along and sing a song about brokenness, about how God gets us through the trials and heartaches of life. It'll be really good. 